If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open to me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke 19 and we will begin in verse 28 in just a little bit. Luke 19 and verse 28. And today we're going to look at a passage that's uh, probably pretty familiar to many of us. It's the account of the triumphal entry. This is a passage that we uh, read about. This is a passage that we focus on, especially uh, around the Easter season. uh, Because this is a significant event that leads right up to the, the death of Jesus on the cross. Now this, what we're going to read today, is happening on the Sunday before he dies. And, um, and from here on out, really the tempo and the intensity of the encounters that he has with the religious leaders uh, really ratchets up. The, uh, they, they become increasingly hostile towards him and, uh, and just kind of picks up. It's almost a staccato type uh, fascist, pop, pop, pop. It's, he's, just, he's just battling people left and right. But for now, we're going to look at the triumphal entry. So I know you just got to sit down, but if you are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 28 and read down to verse 44. <clears throat> It says, After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet, no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, uh, those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw on their coats, threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spraying their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground, and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I've broken our text down into four main headings. They all begin with the letter A. And the first thing I want you to see is approach. Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. If you look back at verse 28, it says that Jesus was going on up to Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned this a number of times over the last several weeks, but Luke is, is hammering this home. He is making it clear. He is repeating it. He wants us to, to, to remember Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. That's his final destination. That is his goal. That is the end to which he is, is traveling. Now, to us, we may say, well, I'm going to Cracker Barrel, or I'm going to go to the park, or whatever it is, and we may mean, I intend on doing this. I, my, I'm going to make an effort to do this. If it's of utmost importance to us, whatever it is, we may... We may say, I'm going to do this, but in the back of our minds, we know that there could be extenuating circumstances which may prevent us from doing whatever it is. We may get a flat tire, uh, you know, somebody may get sick, whatever it is. And, and we, we say, we're going to do this, but in the back of our minds, uh, in, implied in what we're saying is, there's a chance this is not going to happen. 
That's not the case with Jesus. He is going to Jerusalem. There is no doubt that he is going there no matter what. It had been foretold by the prophets of old. He had prophesied himself. He's going to Jerusalem to die. This is not like, a, I'm going to try to get there. I would like to go there. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. There, there's no possibility that he will not be there at the appointed time. This is God's foreordained plan. He will be there at the Passover to die on the cross. Now, remember, Jesus has just passed through Jericho. Now, from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's all uphill. And the first time, I, I don't know, you, probably nobody out here has ever walked this hill except for me. I walked it the first time in the ice storm of uh, 2007, and it was awful. Um, because uh, the ice storm was bad, but I'd, I'd walk down the road to, to check on uh, Gerald Fees, who, who lived down the road from us, and he was uh, a church member. And so I'd walk down there, uh, down the road to, uh, to check on him. But then that means I had to walk back up. And it was bad. And, and it, was, it was all uphill, and you know how steep that hill is. It was kind of like that from Jericho to Jerusalem. I mean, they're, they're going for miles uphill. And, and it, is, it, it's, it would be bad. And, and so anyway... They're going uphill, and Jesus <clears throat> has just done these miracles in Jericho. Remember what he had just gotten through doing? He had, he had healed blind Bartimaeus. Remember, he was, he was, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want? I've received my sight back, and, and so forth. And he had just brought salvation to the home of Zacchaeus. He had been converted, he and his household. Um, he's, he's done all these amazing things. And he's going on up to Jerusalem. And he tells them, as, as he's nearing Jerusalem, as he gets to uh, Bethpage and Bethany, they're, they're nearby, they're towns near one another. Um, now, Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Now, Lazarus, you remember, he was the one that was raised from the dead. That happened just before the triumphal entry. So he's doing all these amazing things. The people are, are knowing who Jesus is. They've seen miraculous things happen. And so Jesus, as he's nearing the city... There's this fervor around him. There's this swell of people that have gathered themselves. There's this messianic expectation as he's going up to Jerusalem. And, and this man, this, this Messiah, this deliverer that they've set their hopes on is finally there before him. And Jesus does a very deliberate act. He sends two of his disciples to uh, one of the cities, one of the towns, and he tells them to get a donkey's colt on which no one has ridden. Now that's significant because... Animals that were used in the Lord's service, there, there are some different sacrifices that were, that were prescribed in the Old Testament, particularly with the red heifer. And when that, when that uh, animal was, was to be brought and offered to the Lord, it couldn't have been used for uh, ordinary things. It couldn't have had a yoke uh, attached to it. it. It couldn't have done farm work, for instance. It wouldn't be put into ordinary service. It was set apart for the Lord. And so this cult... Is, is in that same vein. It's, it's something that's, that's not been used for common work. It's set apart for the Lord. And he says, you're going to go to the city. You're going to go to the town. This is what you're going to find. Here's what they're going to say to you, and here's what you say to them. Now, remember, their, their animals were like our vehicles. Can you imagine somebody coming up and getting in your car and start driving away with it? And then, says, and then they say, uh, what you doing? They say, the Lord needs it. Oh, okay. Now, this is kind of an odd story. It's, it's not, not a story. It's, it's an odd account. 
And it's unclear what exactly this indicates. It could be that this is an arrangement that Jesus had with a follower in that town. It could be that Jesus said, you know what? Um, I'm going to be coming to, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. I'm going to send two of my disciples, and I'd like you to send that colt with them. And here's what you need to say. You need to ask them uh, why they're untying it, and they'll say the Lord needs it, and you say, okay. It could be that there is some prearranged situation. It could be this is an act of hospitality. It could be that Jesus is doing what was common back then. If a royal emissary was going through an area and they, uh, they, needed to, they, they didn't want to walk the whole way, they would sometimes conscript an animal into service and use it for a while and then return to the master, return to the owner. Or it could be this was an act of omniscience on Jesus' part and he just knew what was going to be there. Or it could be that this, this owner recognized who Jesus was as the Messiah. It could be that he recognized that, that he was making this messianic claim and he wanted to participate. We don't know exactly the, the, the situation behind it. But what we know is Jesus said this is what's going to happen and that's what happened. Next I want you to see an announcement. An announcement that Jesus is king. Now you might be tempted to jump down to verse 38 where they actually say those words. But it actually starts back in verses 35 and 36. <clears throat> And it's not so much with their words, but rather with their actions. If you look at verses 35 and following, they bring the, uh, the colt to Jesus. And then verse 35, they put their coats on the, on the colt. And then verse 36, they put their coats on the road for the colt to walk on. Now, now Luke doesn't mention this, but this is the same incident. You, you, we've all heard of Palm Sunday. We don't call it Coat Sunday. But this is, this is the same event as Palm Sunday. This is when people also got palm branches and were cutting them down and waving them. It's, that was a, a sign of victory back then. If you've ever seen any of the old, um, uh, the old parades, footage of the old parades, where, where the, like after World War II, for instance, and they come marching through the streets and was everybody, while people waving handkerchiefs, they get a rag, they, whatever it is, they would wave something. That's kind of what these people were doing with palm branches. It was an act of of declaring victory. They're seeing Jesus as this Messiah. He's going to bring victory. He's going to overthrow the Romans. They also would lay their palm branches in the road for this colt to walk on. Now, I mention this because this whole scene is an announcement that Jesus is king. Because first, we see it in their use of coats. Because what was common back then is if a king was coming to an area, the people would make the way uh, special. Now, you just think, whether you like our president or not, if the president's coming, you're at least vacuuming the, the carpet, right? I mean, you're, you're, going to make, you're going to tidy up the place. You're going to make it look nice. And, and it was kind of like that back then. If a king would come to a place, they would, they would lay stuff out so that the king had something nice to walk on. We do something similar today, or at least we used to, and I mentioned this before, with, um, with, with brides. You know, used to, they'd, they'd have a... a a runner, they would they come out and the bride would, would, would walk on something. Just walking on the carpet wasn't good enough. We'd have to have a rug on top of the carpet. At the very least, even now we have a flower girl. What does she do? She spreads flower petals on top of that. Because it's, it, we want the, the bride to have something special to walk on. When movie stars, they go to an awards ceremony and congratulate each other and pat each other on the back... What they have, they have a red carpet for them to walk on. It's something special. Um, that, that's what they did back in that day too. In the Old Testament, in Second Kings nine, Jehu was anointed as king, and before he even descended the steps from where he was at, they took off their coats and put them on the steps, so he would have something nice to walk on. 
And so that's what these people are doing. They're, they're, they're putting this out and they're declaring Christ is king. But further, even entering on the animal on which he came, on this donkey, that is significant. Because if a king comes into a city to destroy it, if he comes in in a military action, he's riding a war horse. He's riding a big stallion. He's riding in a chariot. He's doing something like that. He's declaring victory. He's declaring, I'm in charge and you're subject to me. But if a king comes in peace, he comes on a donkey. This is what happened in, in the Old Testament <clears throat> uh, account with David. I don't know if you remember this, this incident. David had a whole bunch of sons. Solomon was supposed to be the next in line. But, but David got old and he got kind of sickly. And, and another of his sons decided he was going to take the throne instead of Solomon. And so he, he sets up this whole kind of a coup. He sets up this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have everybody proclaim that I'm the king and, and everybody's going to look at me and I'm going to be one taken over. And David finds out about it because Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, Solomon's mom and David's wife, uh, they, they come and they tell David what's happening. And so what David says is he says, you'd have Solomon ride into town on my donkey. It, it, was, it was an act of, of, of the king coming, but he was coming in peace. But even more significant is Zechariah 9.9 in the Old Testament says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is a clear messianic text that Jesus is deliberately, plainly, openly fulfilling. It's like a great big flashing red arrow sign that's pointed at Jesus saying this is God's man. This is fulfillment of prophecy. This is the Messiah. This is the king. And so this is an announcement that Jesus is king. Not he will be king. Not he has become king. Not he will be king for a while, but he is king. He always has been and he always will be. Now usually if a man becomes king, it's because his father who was king before him has died. Well, God ain't dead. And he can't die. He can't abdicate the throne. Jesus didn't become king. He's always been king. What was said by the wise men when they came looking for Jesus? They came to Herod and said, where's, been, where's the one who was born king of the Jews? He didn't become king. He was born king. It wasn't that he was just a king, but the angel said at his birth, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is King. He has been, is, and always will be King. And the question that, that I want to ask you is, is He your King today? Is He your King this morning? Do you recognize His reign and rule in your life? Because Christ is King. Now the people understood what He was communicating in, in doing all these things. They didn't fully understand His purpose. They didn't understand the cross before the crown and so forth. But they understood what he was claiming and what he was doing. Next, I want you to see acclaim. The acclaim of the people. As I just said, they understood what he was doing. They recognized his claim to Messiahship. And as he approached the capital city, they're, they're overcome with joy and with excitement. They are praising God. They are celebrating. They are shouting. And look at verses 37 and 38. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice 
for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now these people began to praise God for all the miracles they'd seen. And I'm sure Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus and Mary and Martha and Zacchaeus, they had some of the loudest voices in that crowd, I think. And as this crowd began to praise God because of God's anointed and all that he had done and only he could do these things, they began to shout, verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's familiar language to us. But if you look at your, if, if you look at your Bible, it's, it's maybe setting that part apart from the rest of the text in a certain way. In my Bible, it, it's in all caps. In yours, it, it may be a little bit different. But what it's doing is it's showing you that is part, that is a quotation of part of an Old Testament text. Now in the book of Psalms, there are a group of Psalms towards the end of the book called the, the Hallel Psalms. These are the, the songs of ascent. And so if you look in, in towards the end of your Bible, or the end of the book of the Psalms sometime, you'll notice there's a superscription that says, songs of, Song of Ascent, Song of Ascent, Song of Ascent. What that means is, these are, these are songs that the people would sing as they walked uphill, as they ascended towards Jerusalem at the Passover. And Psalm 118 is one of those psalms, and, and the language is fresh on their minds. And as they see Jesus fulfilling this, they rightly applied Psalm 118 to him. He is the, the, the stone which the builders rejected, and he has become the chief cornerstone. He is the one who can save. He is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they, they apply this to Jesus. They, they begin to praise him. But you'll also notice verse 38 at the end of it is also familiar as well because and you'll probably hear this in about a month or so, this is almost identical to what the angels said to the shepherds when Jesus was born. You remember that in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? The angel says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. At his birth, heaven's angels pr proclaimed peace on earth. And at his death, people on earth proclaimed peace in heaven. Jesus came to bring peace. Peace between heaven and earth. Peace between God and man. And regardless of what you may hear in our culture, some people say, oh, well, everybody's just a child of God. No. By nature, everybody is an enemy of God. We are, there, there's enmity between us and God. We are, there's hostility between us and the Lord. The only way that you become a child of God is through faith in Christ and Him alone for salvation. And when you do that, you are reconciled to Him and you have peace with Him. Not everybody's on board with, with all this praise, though. You'll notice in verse 39, the Pharisees in the group wanted Jesus to, to tell them to hush. Tell, tell your disciples to be quiet. But Jesus refused that. And this is, again, this is another bit of significant development. Because all throughout the Gospels, as you read uh, the, the different Gospel accounts, there are times when Jesus would perform a miracle, the people would be so overcome and so amazed by what they had seen, they tried to make Jesus their king right then and there. They'd rush upon him and, and try and set him up as their new king. And Jesus would always shut him down because it wasn't his time. But now his time had come. And now he welcomes their praise and he refuses to shut it down. In fact, he says this is such, verse 40, is such a monumentous act that if they hold their peace, the inanimate creation will cry out. I mean, this is... This is hyperbole. He's saying this is, it is just and right 
for them to be praising God and for, for them to be celebrating me and what I'm doing. Finally, I want you to see there at the end, annihilation. Annihilation. The people are praising God for the Messiah who's come in their lifetime. They're worshiping Him for the miracles that, that Christ has done. I'm sure there were tears of joy streaming down their faces. But there were other tears as well, and they were not streaming down their face. Uh, th- these are tears that streamed down the face of Jesus. These are tears of, of sorrow, not tears of joy. He saw the city of Jerusalem laid out before him, and he began to weep. Because Jerusalem had a day of visitation. In the person of Jesus Christ, God visited them with peace and grace and mercy. Now the name Jerusalem means he sees or he shall see peace. So the Prince of Peace comes to the city of peace on a donkey indicating he comes in peace. But they'll have none of it. They refuse the peace. They reject the peace because they rejected the only one who can bring peace. You'll not have peace in your life until you have peace with God through the Prince of Peace. They would rather hold on to their sin, and that's what they did. Because they refused God's day of visitation, His his visitation of grace, He will one day visit them in judgment. But first, if you look at what He says, there's an act of judgment Immediately, and then there's one coming. If you notice verse 42, the first act of judgment is the hiding of these things from their eyes. Again, alluding to that name, which, which speaks of seeing peace. But second, in the destruction of the city. Now, in 66 AD, the Jews rebelled against Rome, and Rome sent Titus, who is a, a leader, a general, to, to, to squelch uh, this, this rebellion. So what he did was he did exactly what Jesus said would happen. He surrounded the city. They built up a wall in just a, a matter of, of a few days. All the way around the city. And rather than attack the city to, to conquer them, he just decided to starve them out. And so what he would do is he, he built this wall around them. And he would not let people from the outside go into Jerusalem. He would not let people from Jerusalem go out. He just kept them in there. And you can imagine, once the I mean, we, we saw how it was when... When all the COVID stuff happened and, and people started freaking out about toilet paper and everything else, I mean, the, the shelves were cleared. And you can imagine if that happened and there, wasn't any, there, there weren't any trucks coming to refill them. And as people began to go through their stock and as they would ration themselves and they, they, it got worse and worse and worse for the people, they went through unspeakable agonies. And by the time that that Rome was done with with Jerusalem, over 600,000 Jews were killed. I mean, this was, it it was a tragedy. And it was a visitation of God in judgment because they had rejected their Messiah. They had had refused King Jesus. What did they say whenever Jesus was before them? They said, we have no king but Caesar. What they experienced was a flesh and blood picture of the choice and the fate that awaits each, in, each individual. Now, I'm not trying to spiritualize what, what happened. I'm not trying to allegorize it because this is something that happened in history. But what I'm saying is, like them, God is visiting you and me in mercy today. And I know that because none of us are in hell right now. 
And that's where each of us belongs. That's where each of us, that, that is the, the, the rightful condemnation that we have coming because of our sin. And God is visiting us in mercy, but one day he will visit those who are unrepentant in judgment. God has graciously held off the judgment. He's extended to us another day of grace. And today, if you will trust Christ as your Savior, you will find him to be a perfect Savior. He will forgive your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will reconcile you to God. He will, uh, he will adopt you into the family. He'll take away your sin. But if you sin away that day of grace, there remains for you certain judgment. And the horrors of hell make the destruction of Jerusalem look like a Disney movie. So the question is, won't you trust Christ for salvation today if you've not done that? Now for those of us who have done that, those of us who are Christians, we need to remember that Christ is king. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who gets voted into office or out of office this week. It doesn't matter who is or is not in the White House. It doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, anything. God is on the throne. He rules and overrules in the affairs of men. Nothing is, is catching him off guard. He's not wringing his hands. He, he is in charge of the cosmos down to the last molecule. There's not one bit of creation that's outside of his control. He alone is in charge of the cosmos. And the, the amazing thing is, he cares for you. The Bible says when you look up at the skies, you see all of God's handiwork. And you say, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the Bible says that we can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Come to him and find rest for your souls. Why don't you stand with me as... <clears throat> Musicians, come. Now as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just, I, I want you to first answer the question in your own heart and mind. Is Christ your King? Not, I'm, I'm not asking if you give mental assent to the fact that Jesus existed, that he was a good teacher, that he was your mom or dad's king. Is he your king? Do you recognize his authority in your life? Maybe you're a Christian, you've been disobedient. And there's some area where God has said, do this or don't do this. And you're doing the opposite of what he said. You need to confess that to him, recognize it, and change. If you're a hearer of the word but not a doer, it's like looking in the mirror, seeing your dirty face, and going away without washing Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online or listening at some other time. And God is not your king. Christ is not your king. You've never repented of your sin. You've never confessed them to God. You've never accepted the salvation he, he has offered. Why don't you do that today?
whatever it is you're holding on to is going to be a small thing in light of eternity. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that Christ fulfilled the task that was laid before him. He ran the race faithfully. He endured the cross, despising its shame. But God, we thank you that he didn't stay in the grave, but he is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that today he sits enthroned in heaven, ruling and reigning over all things. And God, we thank you for the offer of salvation that you extend, that whosoever will may come. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I pray for anybody who's hearing me today that has not done that, that they would become your child. And God, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that you would help us to rest in your sovereignty and your grace. We thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts and our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.